All right. I got to pull up my notes. Yeah, when uh, Brother Bill had asked me to uh, cover for him, I said, is there any, was there any particular thing that he'd like me to talk about? And he said, no, just do as the Lord leads. And I, I've been kind of stumped on what to talk about. And it's just when I kind of came to this, you know, it's just there's a lot of stuff that just kind of poured out, you know. It, uh, but that's okay. Uh, more the better. Um, and uh, we'll we'll just go ahead and give it a go. All right. <laughs> all right. So we know there's a lot of examples and pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, one of the very first things that I've noticed um, that I think is a very good illustration and picture of uh, really is in Genesis chapter three. Um, in Genesis 3, 15 through 21, it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And we take a look at that, and we see that is a, a prophecy of what is to come much later when Christ dies on the cross. Um, but continuing on, it says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I command thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And thy sweat of thy, and the sweat of thy face, shall thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and dust shall thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Now here's the key part. It says an. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So when you read that passage, you realize that God was the one that made these coats for Adam and Eve so that they can be covered. And I think a lot of times where we tend to miss is that there had to be a death of an animal in order to make those coats. Right. So we see that an innocent an, an, a innocent animal had to die in order for God to provide these coats of skins. Now, how do we equate that to Christ? Well, we equate it because Christ was perfect. He didn't he didn't sin. But he laid his but him being innocent laid his life down. So that he could take our sin upon himself and that our sins can be judged at the cross. Amen. So we see that through that, through Christ's death and resurrection, we have forgiveness. We have mercy. We have grace. We have that way onto eternal life. And the righteousness that we wear is not our own. It's Christ's righteousness that we're clothed in. Does that make sense? It, 
<laughs> but like we, you know, so through that, through what Christ did, and because that we are born again, it's His righteousness that flows through us as a gift, not anything that we deserve. Um, in Hebrews chapter nine verse twenty-two, it says, "And almost all things are by the law purged with blood." And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So going back to these animals that, you know, God had to, you know, eventually kill to make these coats of skins. You know, when when you're clothed, clothing is a is to show salvation typically. And because when when some like if you take a look in Revelation. Uh, I think it's the Church of the Laodiceans. You know, they didn't think that they needed anything, and they were rich, and they didn't. But Jesus said, "You are poor and wretched, blind and naked." And nakedness is what happens when you when you fall short in sin. You have that shame, but through Christ, we don't have that shame. And so <clears throat> we see that you know the coats of skin is a symbolism or or it can be a type of salvation along with name a name change in the word of God. Um in Romans chapter 3 verse 25 it says whom God has sent God has set forth to be a propitiation that's a big word. <laughs> that's a very big word. Uh, sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And and, and for this one, you know, Hebrews 7, 7 says, and without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So Christ is the better and we are the less. And us being the less is blessed of Christ, not because we deserve it, not because we, in, you know, we merited it. It's because of his grace that he blesses us because we're his kids. He loves us. He wants to bless us. He wants us to uh, he wants to give us good things. It's not it's not a bad thing to have good things. But the moment we start to have. Focus on the good things more than God. That's where we're getting our we get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, anybody have you all have anything that you want to add or say or any questions? Like when we do something good, you know, oh boy, you know, we don't momentarily you think, oh boy, look what I've done. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't done anything. Yep. <laughs> you know, so. Or I'm thinking, or I'm fixing to say something, or something, you know, and I just think, 
God forgive me, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that. I didn't, don't need to say that, and, you know, so. In repentance, it should be a daily thing. And we we ought to feel sorry for what we did. Um, and if we don't, there's something we got we to gotta check within ourselves. And, um, you know, you get, you know, these people that they may not say it, but they flippantly go through their lives thinking that they don't have to be sorry for anything or have to repent. And you get these people that preach a gospel that's not even biblical. And that's seeing that's that's and that's the reason why our nation is the way it is. Because there is no repentance being taught or preached. And if there is no Yeah, they people think that they're okay and and Mm-hmm. And and because that because of a very much of a lack of repentance, this is why we're at where we're at in our nation. Because everybody thinks that they're all good, they don't have to repent. They say, "Well, once saved, always saved." Well, people can claim they're saved, but really not be saved, right? So, <laughs> exactly. So you know and. Paul, he says, examine thyself whether you be in the faith or not. That's whether we're saved or not. That's something that we ought to we we have to examine ourselves. Well, and people think today though what they're they're what they go by. Jesus is love. He's not going to send anybody to hell. Yeah. Isn't that the isn't that what everybody thinks? Mm-hmm. Jesus is love, and He will send. He's not going to send anybody. And and their definition of love is letting people be in their sin, but that's like far from the truth. It's just like do whatever you want to do. It makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. They don't, they don't care about anybody else. Sometimes or, I do things, and then I don't feel so good afterwards. Oh. oh. You know, and it's not. And people would look at it and say, "Well, that's not really too much. He didn't really do anything that much bad." But. Because it's 
if you've seen her, I don't know how how he kept from just to, from breaking her back. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can't even imagine how he had beat her. Mm. And he did that every night to those kids and starved them and everything and nothing, you know. And I just, I just, I just pray and pray and pray to just get that off of my mind, but. You know, sometimes I just look at her and I just think about that. You know, what I mm-hmm. just, and I just think he, he deserved some punishment, and they didn't do nothing to him, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe per- they don't ever do anything. If they did, the skills would be full. That's right. Mm-hmm. There's no. That's another thing. There's no punishment for evil, horrible things that people do anymore. There's no punishment, you know? Well, God assures. There is, but they will realize that one day if they don't repent. Yeah, if they don't repent, they're going to realize it. And and, and those people that have done wicked, they're going to bow down before Christ, and they're going to call him Lord. But by that time, it's already too late. Wicked is going to wickedness is going to increase. Jesus said this, and you know he said that you know uh, his coming would be like the days of Noah. And if you look in the back of in the days of Noah, um, there was a lot of wickedness. There was a lot of um, just very just things that were an abomination, and God had to completely, you know, just. He had to send a flood to wipe all it out, except for eight people, Noah and his family. And um, that's, believe it or not, it's actually my next thing. Um, the next picture of Christ that we see in the Old Testament is the ark. You know, because of all the wickedness, God said to Noah that, uh, well, Noah had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God said, I want you to build an ark. And he did. He was faithful. Noah was faithful to build an ark. Now, I can't imagine the ridicule that he had to go through. I mean, he was probably mocked. He was. They, they, they probably thought he was he. Yeah, he's he's crazy. I mean, because they didn't know what rain was. <clears throat> but Noah was one who feared God. And uh, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 through 18, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and a perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. 
I don't know about you, but we see a lot of that nowadays. And unfortunately, it's increasing. And we see, you know... Mm-hmm. You know, it's been all around us for for years, and and now it's here, and you know you can't pick up a newspaper, you can't pick up anything. It's about LBGT, whatever they are. Yeah, the LGBTQ. They just taken over everything. How they're fighting to get all these rights and all these things, and yeah, it's in our schools. You can't say anything. You know, it's interesting. It is, and 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 the thing is, you can't speak about you can't speak bad about them, but they could sure speak bad about you. See, they claim it's they want tolerance, but the yeah. Exactly, and so they, I, I mean, and I don't want to be mean, but they, they do seem to be a very intolerant people, um, because they just, they, they only, they, they, they want you to not just accept it, but they don't, they don't, they want you to bow down and kiss their feet and think it's okay, and it's not. God specifically says it is an abomination, and He'll judge that sort of thing. He did Sodom and Gomorrah. And I was wondering about Grace. I mean, I don't, I don't know about Alma. But Alma, I heard back, it's been a while back, that there was a gay teacher teaching fourth grade. Did mm. you know that? No. It's been, it's been quite a while back. In fact, I think it was uh, last year at some point. Thing. Did you hear anything about it, Billy Jerry? I think, yeah, I heard it, but I think... That's that's good. I'm not sure now. Yeah. Well, hopefully, but I just wondered how he got hired. Then you know. Mm-hmm. Who hired him? <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. Um. Well, it's corruption, is what it is. Yeah. In our schools, and just you see it everywhere. And it's just going back into the days of Noah again, you know. And Jesus was right; his coming shall be like the, you know, the days of Noah. Um, it says, "And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood." Rooms shall thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, 
the breadth of it 50 cubits and the height of it 30 cubits. And a window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower second and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I even, I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. From under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, and thy sons and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And uh, Romans 3.24 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we see that Noah and his family, they found grace. And where were they? They were in the ark. And in the same manner that, you know, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And it's in Christ that we find safety and security, but we also find redemption in Christ. But you have but a person has to know and not just know Christ, but they have to be in Christ, being born again. You know, it's, it's you get these people that again, you know, they they say all these things, but it kind of makes you wonder about their salvation, right? Like, you know, they say they're they say they're saved, but are they really in Christ? And that's the good news, is that anyone in Christ is a new creature. And see, and that right there is the key thing. A new creature means that there's a change. And and that's what Bible Christianity is all about, is having that change in your life. Because if there is no change, if there is no repentance, you're just a lost sinner on your you're just a lost sinner on your way to hell. That's why we all need Christ. That's why Christ had to come and die on the cross for our sins. That through Christ we can go home. Christ is our mediator. That through him we can go to God. Amen. And it's... God is good. And he's good all the time. And... Uh, the next one I want to get into, the next picture is um, in Genesis 22. Now, if you know the background, um, God is testing Abraham's faith. And God is God told Abraham to offer his son up for a burnt offering. And in that, we see um, a picture of what God would eventually do, that he would send his only his only begotten son jesus christ to die on the cross for our sins and it says in genesis uh 22 verses 6 to 14 it says and abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together and isaac spake unto abraham his father and said my father and he said here am i my son and he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now what Abraham said, says to his son is extremely 
profound and prophetic. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And he did. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God provided his only begotten son to die for the sins of the world that anyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That right there is just so beautiful how that works. How God paints these pictures in the Old Testament. You know, and I hope one of these days, you know, that there will be Jews that will be able to open up the uh, the Old Testament and read and find these things. Because it's just such beautiful pictures that God paints for us in the Old Testament of what He's of what He did. And we ought not to take that for granted. And there's so many denominations now that never even look at the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You, it's a good point. You get churches that will say, well, that's the, that's, that's the Old Testament. That's been done away with. And, and it's funny because they'll use Christ as a means to say, oh, no, that's not for us anymore. But what they don't realize is that there are things in the Old Testament that still yet needs to be fulfilled. I mean, there sure there was, but there's a lot of prophecies with that have already been fulfilled. But there are things about even our days, even into the future, that God that that God prophesied that these prophets and even the apostles prophesied. They haven't come to pass yet, but they will. And so the new the Old Testament, I mean, if, if you get rid of the Old Testament, you might as well get rid of the whole Bible. Because there are things in the Old Testament that connect with the new. You know, they're inter they're interlocked. You can't have one without the other. And why have the old is because he it tells what he does to people that don't do what he says. So they don't wanna and he's told him there what he did to them. They don't want to know what he did to them because they don't want to see what's going to happen to them if they don't repent. Exactly. And even the Apostle Paul, he wrote in one of his epistles, he said, these things were written for our learning. What are these things? What he's talking about was the Old Testament. And we got to keep in mind, too, that the apostles, when they when they, when they they were sent out to, to preach the gospel to, to uh, you know, the 3,000 that got saved, what do they have? That's the only thing they had was the Old Testament. So to say, well, the Old Testament ain't for, ain't for us, that's a setup. It's a setup to get you to reject the whole Bible and to doubt the Bible. And there's – I mean sure, we're not under law, but we're under grace. But a lot of people equate the whole Old Testament as the law. And that's not necessarily true. Sure, there is the law that is in the Old Testament, but you can't say the whole Old Testament is the law. Because even Old Testament saints, they were saved by what? They had to be saved by the same way, by grace, through faith. See, God put the law in. He put the law to Israel to show them that they couldn't keep it, that they needed a Savior, that they do need a Savior. I mean, if we were 
if we were saved by the law, then why did God say that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord? And that was way before even the law was even given. <laughs> you know, we're saved by grace through faith. Um, and so continuing on here, it says, so they went both of them together and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called on him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went out and took the ram and offered him up a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. So we see that this ram caught by the thicket was a substitute for his son. God only said to Abraham what he said as a test to see whether or not he feared God. And Abraham passed. And we see that instead of offering his son of as a burnt offering... God provided a lamb, a ram caught in a thicket, and God used that instead of his son. And that ram is a picture of Christ because um, it's a substitutional death. The ram was used instead of the son. Um, Isaac is a type and picture of Christ because Abraham was going to offer him up, and he was Abraham's um, only son. Now, some will say, well, Jesus is the only son of God, but that's not true because Jesus said that, who, you know, when, if whoever's all like born again and that follows him have become sons of God. So we're all sons and daughters of God. So Jesus Christ is not the only son. He is the only begotten son. But it's amazing, though, just again, the pictures that we see and are painted in the Old Testament of who Christ is. It's amazing. So anybody have anything that they want to share? All right. I'm going to probably skip. I've got a, I got quite a bit in here, but I don't want to take up too much time. So I'm going to probably, let's see here. We'll go to Boaz. Boaz is a type of Christ because he was a kinsman redeemer. Uh, Boaz was a Hebrew, uh, and he purchased a Gentile bride. Think about that. Christ, he's he he he's a Jew. He he's Jewish, and he purchased a Gentile bride. By what? Through his death and resurrection. That's, you know, he purchased the church with his blood. Um, Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. 
Um, and Ruth chapter 4, verse 8 through 11 says, Therefore the, ki- the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe, and Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Amalek's and all that was Kilones and Malone's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malone, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren. And from the gate of his, of this palace are ye witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. Um, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So you can kind of see a parallel between Boaz and Christ. Both had purchased their brides through the blood, you know. One was paid for by, you know, money. The other was paid by his own blood. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, it says, What know ye not, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The key there is you've been bought with a price. And that price was what Christ paid on the cross. When he said it is finished, it was finished. There's nothing to do or to gain. There's nothing for us to do to gain salvation. It is to believe on Jesus Christ and to put our faith and trust in him. And then Revelation 5, 9, it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Uh, So I'll do one more in closing. Uh, We'll do Samson. We know that Samson was a judge and he, he did not live the most holy life. He lived in, you know, he lived in sin, and he had his downfalls. But it was his death that made him unique, and that his death is a picture of what Christ did at the cross. In Judges chapter sixteen, verses twenty-seven to thirty, it says, "Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there." And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called on to the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up of the one with his right hand, and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. 
and he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And one more verse, and then we'll close. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, it says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And here, here's, here's the main part of it. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a shoe of them openly, triumph, triumphing over them in it. You know, Samson, when he died, he killed more and defeated more Philistines in his death than when he was alive. And we see that as a picture of Christ because when Christ died on the cross, you see, the Pharisees and the devil himself, they thought that, oh yes, we got him. Oh no, they no, you didn't. Because Christ died making a triumph over his enemies. And when he resurrected, he won the victory over death. Amen. And so Christ, I mean, Christ is victorious. And all of us that believe on him and are born again, we are overcomers as well as victorious. Amen. We may not see it now, but when we all go home to be with the Lord, we'll be coming back. And Christ will defeat all his enemies just by the words of his mouth. Amen. It's always uh, 